So um, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? I want to give you a quick quote before we get started. And uh, <clears throat> some of ours, and I know they're live streamers. And by the way, I understand we've got some Wisconsinites that are now uh, watching our live stream video. So we, we welcome the, uh, those from Wisconsin. Uh, are, you, are you ready for this? Listen to why. And this, this guy is unbelievable. E. Stanley Jones, some of our precious family here, the McNets, and I know they're on live stream as well. Uh, they actually paid to have this republished, but E. Stanley Jones is phenomenal. Listen to what E. Stanley Jones says. He says, we are destined by our very makeup to be made into his image. Okay, now we've talked a lot about that over the last number of months. What the foundations of being a Jesus follower are, what are, what are God's essentials? He wants to create us, reform us, renew us, and make us, conform us to the image of his son. He says when we do this, when we work in his way, we work well. When we work in some other way, we work our own ruin. Okay, let me read that again. When we work in his way, we work well. When we work in some other way, we work our own ruin. What we started a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the times and the seasons of our lives. We talked about, number one, foundationally, you have to understand. If you don't understand there's a plan for your life, none of this is going to make sense. You're just, uh, as we've said many times, some random collocation of atoms going no place specific, just kind of bouncing around depending on how life circumstances, uh, whatever car, you know, cards you get dealt that day, you'll deal with it and then you go on. But you've got to recognize that you, there is a plan. And once you understand there's a plan, then God in his magnificence begins to work his plan in us. And through that, we have to understand the times and the seasons in which we live. Now, we recognize that times and the seasons can be us individually. That, that for sure can be the case. It can be our nation, times and seasons. It can be what we're going to talk about next week, times and seasons within Church at the Red Door. There are crossovers. There are times and seasons within, as we're going to see today, relationships, uh, people, places where you are. There are times and seasons, and if you are discerning of those times and seasons, you will be effectively working alongside God. If not, and you are oblivious to what God is doing in your life and how he is working your plan out in your life, the plan, then it's always going to be challenging. And the question is whether or not you're saved or not is really not as much the issue as we're, as we're referring to now. It's really how will you be stewarding your life? Will you be working together with God or working against God's purposes? So timing is everything. Timing is everything. So we got about maybe a third the way through Ecclesiastes 3, and this is kind of that poetic, beautiful, there's a time and a season for everything under the sun, under the sun. everything has an appointed time, and then it begins to break it down, and we looked at that last week. I want to pick this up. After the story I told you last week, which was only fun for you, not for me, the BMW story, uh, that was a little hum humiliating, and, and now I, I have the privilege, and I'm very thankful for you caring about me. I get to hear when each one of you have a bad round, you come and tell me to make, you know, misery loves company, I guess. So, but anyway, that story last week we finished, but this week we're moving on. A time to weep and a time to laugh. Let me say that again. A time to weep and a time to laugh. Uh, let me ask you a question. What, what, was there weeping in Jesus' life? Now, we know the shortest verse in the entire Bible is Jesus wept, and he did that at Laz when Lazarus passed. 
Why he did that was not so much because he was concerned for Lazarus. I think he was just caught up in the human emotion and, the, and some of the fact that they didn't recognize that he was, in fact, as he would tell Martha later, the resurrection and the life. You guys still aren't getting it, he says, and he, and he wept. But I think he was caught up in the emotions of the moment, even recognizing that he was going to be raising Lazarus in just a few short hours. Now, that's powerful. So we know Jesus wept. If you will, go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and I think this is incredibly insightful. If you can get this, if you get nothing else this morning, get this. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2 and 3, catch this. This is important. Now, some of you will recognize, we've talked a lot about this in here through the years, uh, if you, even if you go back to the Red Door Community Bible Study or some of the Lynx Fellowships and through the years, we, we all recognize that we are, there's a template for us. We were in Egypt. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have now come out of Egypt, gone through the Red Sea, i.e. your baptism. You are then led into the wilderness to learn the presence of God, learn how he operates, and to kill some of you off, meaning not you like you're going to die, but kill the old self off. That's really the purpose of the wilderness. And then eventually the plan of God in your life is that you'll cross the Jordan and begin to take the spiritual territory that God has predestined for you to be involved with. So we all become missional. Let your light shine. We all play a role. Now Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3, listen to this. God speaking here. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness, Moses speaking, excuse me, these 40 years that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, catch this. He humbled you and let you be hungry. God lets you be hungry. And fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you recognize there are seasons in your life where God allows you, lets you be hungry? It's part of his plan. What if you've come to Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, and you begin to ask the question, I thought it was not supposed to work out like this. I thought it was supposed to be vibrant and dynamic, and there are aspects of my life. But some of you know you come to Jesus, and he takes you down paths that you never imagined that he would allow you to go down. Do you realize he allowed them, and he will allow you to be hungry? Why? So that he can feed you with manna that you don't know. In other words... He's going to allow you to hunger for the things you used to be, your appetite used to be wet by the things that you hungered for in Egypt, but he's going to change your taste. You're going to view things differently, and he's going to begin to feed you in such a way. Now, we know then it goes on to say every word, bread, Jesus actually pulls this forward in the New Testament. Jesus lived upon the word that God spoke. Some of them ask him when he say, Jesus, are you hungry? Do you... Do you have food? Do you need some food? His disciples ask, and he says, I have food that you don't even know about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. So, look, when you are being made hungry by God, spiritually, relationally, financially, all these different areas, you've got to recognize you may be really grieving right now. You may be in a time of weeping. Can I tell you, that very much is in the economy of God. Weeping, times, seasons to weep, to mourn as we'll see are very much a part of you falling out of love, the process God uses to fall out of love 
with the things that will ultimately not benefit you and may even cause you great harm. So is weeping part of what God has for you? Hunger, if you will, yes, so that he can feed you his word, his presence, his life. And that's an important thing to see. So there is a time to weep. What about laughter? Is there a time to laugh? People ask, you know, did Jesus laugh? Well, there's no place specifically in Scripture that says, and Jesus laughed. But I think if you read contextually, you'll understand that Jesus laughed all the time. Number one, uh, the children were always coming to him. They were attracted to him. Do you know anybody that never laughs and children are drawn to them? I mean, it really doesn't happen. Children are drawn to the party. They're drawn to someone who's going to give them attention, pay attention to them, love on them, and, and ju- it, that's what children are drawn to. They're naturally drawn to joyous people. And go, so go out and look. See, who, who are the children drawn to? That's a person of laughter and joy. We know that Jesus certainly... Jesus was all, also accused in Luke chapter 7. He was accused of hanging out with tax collectors and drunkards, and they were right. They called him a glutton and a drunkard. Now, did Jesus ever get drunk? No, but he was accused of being those things. Now, have you ever been to a place where everybody's drinking and everybody's partying and everybody's having a good time, nobody's laughing? I can't imagine that Jesus was not a man of great laughter. Now, did Jesus have a very serious mission? Of course he did. He knew he was going to die for you and for me to restore our relationship. But I will tell you that even in the midst of all of that, there was great joy and great laughter. In fact, why would Proverbs 17, it says, you know, laughter is, or joyous heart is great medicine for your body. Why would a joyous heart, laughter, if you will, be great medicine if we were to always be dour and because we're religious and we're so concerned about everything? And we are. We care about the country. We care about our families. We care about people not knowing Jesus. We care about all that. But is there a season to laugh? Yes. And there is a season to weep. You know, I weep for this valley. I know many of you do too. It breaks my heart. One of my friends here this morning, John, sent me something this week and it just, you know, it just feels like our country's being taken into some some really dark places. I mean, it just, it just is frustrating. There just seems to be such animosity and such conflict and such strife. And you wonder, but don't, don't, be a, don't underestimate God. You know, the 60s was a similar turmoil. If you think back, some of you weren't there, but it, the 60s were a similar t- kind of time. There was a cultural upheaval. And out of that came the Jesus movement. You know, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, the Bible says. So don't be discouraged recognizing their seasons and times in, the, in your life, but also in the life of the nation. I have great hope for America, and I have a great hope for revival and a renewal of understanding who Jesus is. Not a renewal for religiosity or for anything like that, but a renewal for people to actually fall in love with Jesus. I have great hope for that. I really do. And if I didn't, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing I'd go and find a better field, as we'll see in a minute. Well, there's also a time to mourn. Jesus often mourned. Uh, Matthew 23, in fact, if you've ever been with me to Israel, you'll remember when we are up on the Mount of Olives and we're actually taking that little journey down that Jesus did with the fulfillment of a Zechariah prophecy on the back of a donkey, going in for this great 
time when, the, when they would recognize him as the king and say, you know, blessed is he, quoting Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, it was a magnificent time. But on his way, he also looked over Jerusalem and wept over Jerusalem, mourning, if you will. Matthew 23, 37, listen to Jesus' words, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. Jesus recognized the obstinate nature of the religious, many of the religious Jews of the time. Now, many began to follow him, but he also recognized the blindness, the veil that was over the eyes of his own people, of which he said, I only came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he knew the impending destruction of the temple that would happen some 40 years after he was resurrected back to the right hand of the Father. He knew what the future was. And so he was in mourning. Jesus mourns. Who do you mourn for? Do you mourn for people? Do you care for people? Are there people in your family? Are there neighbors? Are there business associates? Are there just maybe even countries or nations? You know, I know my own mother. I, just, I think this was a Lord-driven thing. She, she, she really mourns for China, has for many years. And she, for many years, she'd never even been there. It was just a God-placed mourning in her own heart about an un. For in many ways, unreached people group, although there is a vibrant church in China now, she, she, had a, she still continues to have a great passion for that, and yet with that comes mourning. There is a season to mourn. There really is. But guess what? There is a season to dance. All Baptists. Uh, this <laughs> there is a season. There is a season to dance. And in Luke chapter uh, 10, if you'll turn there, in fact, I'm going to, I didn't do this in first service, I'm going to do this here. Luke chapter 10, I, I want you to look at this, I'm going to read a little bit more of this than I did. Luke chapter 10, let's start here in verse uh, 17, I think. So Jesus, in Matthew chapter 10, he sends out the 12, and they were, go out, proclaim the kingdom, go from city to city, and, and uh, it was his first little missionary sending, and then uh, here in Luke 10, he sent out 70. We don't know who these 70 were specifically, but he was excited when they got back. And when they returned, verse 17, when the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They couldn't believe that the power that they had seen in Jesus had been transferred to them to do the same kind of work that he was doing. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread over serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. And then verse 21, and at that time, he greatly rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and began to say, and just about the time they were feeling really good about themselves, Father, I praise you. Lord of heaven and earth, that you did hide these from the wise and the intelligent and reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in your sight. Just about the time they were beginning to get on their high horse, like, hey, look what we've accomplished. Lord, I'm so thankful that you've, you haven't shown this to the wise and the intelligent, but these motley crew of 70 here, and he rejoiced greatly. Some some scholars and some Greek scholars say that that may actually allude to the fact that he danced, he rejoiced, he danced 
vociferously, just, just aggressively. He was, he was passionate about dancing in the Holy Spirit when they returned. He loved what he was seeing. Why? Because he cared about hurting people. And it was, he knew he was only going to be on the earth for three, three and a half years, and then he was going to go back up to be with the Father. So he danced. There was a time to dance. Did Jesus mourn? Absolutely. Wept, mourned. But did he dance and did he laugh? I can assure you that he did and does, regardless of how some of these movies portray Jesus as being, you know, this dour kind of, you know, always just having to give these nice little aphorisms. That's how most people think of Jesus. I think he was dynamic and lively, and he would have walked into any room. I think of Jesus in the flesh. And, of course, Jesus, you're always invited here. I, please come. I will immediately fall off the stage if you come. But if Jesus were to walk in here and be in a physical body, I'm telling you, it would be invigorating and exciting, and there'd be laughter, and there'd be joy, and there'd be terror all mixed up in one. It would be passionate. That's Jesus. Don't, don't get, get a picture of who he is. Jesus is one definitely who laughed. Now, next, there is a time to throw stones. Now, I've got to tell you in this next passage, there's a time to throw stones and there's a time to gather stones. And I think a lot of people would go, well, what does that even mean? I mean, okay, let's see. David and Goliath, he threw stones, and maybe we can throw stones at our Goliath. And life. I, you know, maybe. And I'm going to give you an interpretation, uh, my interpretation, which I won't be dogmatic about, but I'm going to give you some of what I think this could allude to. Now, this whole thing is called hermeneutics. It's, a, it's understanding how to interpret the Bible, and nobody agrees on hermeneutics. It's the study of trying to, to get this meaning out of this. And one of the key principles is that you use the Bible to interpret the Bible. So when we're talking about stones, where else in the Bible does it talk about stones and stones being thrown and stones being gathered? And that would be your best way in which to interpret something like this, which is just, you know, throw stones and gather stones. What does that possibly mean in terms of the seasons of our life where we could apply it? So I'm going to give you uh, an interpretive view, uh, and, I, and you can take it or leave it. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 3, there was a story here about Elisha. Elisha has just recently succeeded Elijah. Elisha worked in the double strength of the Lord. He had a double anointing even, even above Elijah. I've taught on this at various points. I think he's in some ways representative of New Covenant. Uh, but anyway, Elisha has his call by Jehoshaphat, who has gotten into this bad alliance between Edom and then the king of the north. At this time, it's Jehoram. And they want to go around the Dead Sea and come up to what's modern-day Jordan, east of the Jordan, and then attack Moab. And they got out there, and they were going to die. They were running out of food. They were running out of water. And Elisha has to come in, and he begins to prophesy that they're going to have a great victory if they listen to what he says. And he proceeds. And then in verse 19, he says, once you strike Moab, here's what I want you to do. I want you to strike every fortified city, every choice city, and fell every good tree, stop all springs of water, mar every good piece of land with stones. Now, you say, well, why would he do that? Now, you've got to recognize Paul, 1 Corinthians 10, said uh, all these things, Exodus, Old Covenant, were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. In other words, there's something in a story as strange as this that will help us navigate our own lives in the 21st century. If you can imagine, what would that have to do with us? It just seems kind of heartless and rude to me. Why would a God of love go in and stomp all these springs and everything? Well, first of all, who was Moab? 
Moab, through all scripture, is always symbolic of death, failure, alienation from God, struggle, a child sacrifice, everything. It just is a picture. Moab always was alienated from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and stood as a stone in the road, if you will, uh, for Israel to walk into the full mediation of what it had been called to do, which is to be a light to the nations. So how does that apply to you? Well, first of all, they were told to take stones and throw stones and stop up all these springs, stop up everything that was there. Let me ask you, is there a place in your life maybe right now where you need a little gardening and uh, a chance to get out of some of the bad feels that you may find yourself in in life that really have no chance of producing any fruit for you? Is, there, is this an opportunity? Is this a time and a season where God may be saying, now God may be saying stay, because God does call us to fruitless bad fields and be there as missionaries or whatever, but there may be a place in time when God says this is never going to produce fruit in your life. It's time to throw stones on that, to stop the flow of a bad spring. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, a bad tree can't produce good fruit, and a good tree only produces good fruit. So Jesus is talking about this, so it's important to say, is it a time and a season and the answer to this is yes, there is a time to throw stones and to cover up all the pollution that has happened out of this field. I've been here, I've been here, it just is not fruitful, and I'm going to waste away, fritter away the rest of my life in a field that produces nothing. Now, if God calls you to stay there, then stay there by all means, because remember, all of these things are only applied to our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? I can't just say this is it, but the Lord will speak to you through these seasons if you have ears to hear. Well, what about a time to gather stones? I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. Listen to what? Now, Jesus actually uses the vineyard parables often. I think uh, Mark chapter 12, he uses a vineyard parable. He uses vineyard parables often. And when he does, they, it's Israel was a vineyard that God was cultivating to be a light to the nations. And through that process, listen to what he says in Isaiah. Let me sing now for my well-beloved, a song of my well-beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill, and he dug around it, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest of vine. He built a tower in the middle of it, hewed out a wine vat in it, and he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. Now, there is a season in your life when God says, I am planting you here, I'm doing a work in your life, and rather than throwing stones, there are, this is a good field. Have you ever thought about planting yourself in good fields? Now, I'm hoping, this is my prayer every day, and it's certainly, I, and I have the incumbent responsibility of myself for my family. Is Church at the Red Door going to be a good field where we want to gather these stones and remove the stones out of people's way? You know, Isaiah had seen this multiple times. Remove the stones out of the way of my people so they can return to Zion. Clear the highways. Make it, make it available. You know, one of the things about Church at the Red Door, we always want to define up. Us is that we're a place where you can come even if you're not on board with Jesus yet to ask difficult questions. 
I don't know about all this. This just doesn't make any sense to me. What about, what about, what about? And whatever the topics of the day, and hasn't science disproven the Bible, and haven't, and many of you have some real deep intellectual struggles to even thinking and taking the next step with Jesus. Are we going to gather the stones out of this and continue to gather stones out of people's way so that they can move and eventually move into the presence of God? Is God against, is God an anti-intellectual? Absolutely not. Isaiah 118, come, let us reason together. If God is in fact the creator, he has no problem with reasoning with his creation. But his ways are radically different than ours, and there has to be a certain level of humility. Otherwise, we'll always stand at a distance and say, well, I won't take a next step because there's a stone and there's a stone. I don't have to remove the stone all the way. Just move the stone out of the way just enough to where people can get by it and take a next step and think contemplate could Jesus have been resurrected from the dead might Jesus actually be the Messiah and if he is does that have any import for me of course it does changes everything if he wasn't raised we're wasting our time here waste is a waste of time if Jesus was not raised from the dead Paul couldn't have been more clear so there is a time to gather stones do you get that is, there, is this a good field for you to park your life for a while? Is this a place where you can learn about the Word, learn about Jesus in an environment that's safe and loving and accepting, even if you're a million miles away? If it's not, then we're not accomplishing our task. You've heard me say it before, and I'll, I repeat it because I love Tim Keller and what he said about um, their church up in New York in Manhattan. He said, look, I, at any one given time, if we want at least 20% of our people not to be following Jesus. I don't know if he gave a number, but we want, a significant, we want people to come here and, and have a place where they can ask challenging questions, where they have stones in their road. He didn't use that example, but that's really what he's saying. If you don't understand that Jesus cares about your mind, how are you going to love God with your mind? And you say, well, there's all these intellectual questions. Just have faith. No, we don't say just have faith. Answer your question. Can every question be answered? No, there's some questions I have. I live in some tension. I don't, I don't suggest that every question could be answered, but there are probably a lot more questions that can be answered than you would ever imagine could be answered. And in a way that might shock you, and maybe you've, maybe you've hooked up with some religious line of thinking that negates uh, your ability to even ask those questions. Well, that's a tragedy in my mind because if Jesus wants to love us to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind, how in the world can we not ask deep, penetrating intellectual questions that we might have? Really? That's not God. God loves your mind. He created your mind, and he wants you to use your mind to love him and worship him. That's Man, that's good stuff. That's preaching right there, isn't it? Ooh. <laughs> I don't really preach much, but occasionally I break out in a preach. So is there a time to gather stones? There absolutely is. Let's move on. A time to embrace. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. That doesn't sound very Christianly. You know, you shun embracing. You're supposed to embrace everybody. Well, no, we're not supposed to embrace everybody. And there is a time and a season to embrace, both in the life of our lives and in the life of Jesus. You can see that there were times where he shunned embracing. Number one, when did Jesus embrace? Luke 15, verse 20. So he got up and talking about the prodigal. Okay, so Jesus is telling this amazing story, symbolizing how his father behaves towards those who would come back to him. The prodigal had 
said, look, just give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. Dad, I don't love you. I don't need you. I'm going to go spend. He spent it all. He squandered it. He was living with the pigs. Finally, he goes, man, it's better off with my pop's servants than it is for me out here. I'll go back. I'll humble myself. And what did the father do? You need to know the very essence of the kingdom is that you're never beyond the infirm embrace of your loving father ever. Some people say, wait a minute, what about, what about the unpardonable sin, you know, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Well, let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit, if he's acting on your heart, because he's the one that sends that conviction into your heart, if he's the one acting on it and you no longer respond to the conviction, then, yeah, maybe you are beyond the help because the Holy Spirit's your last gasp because you're just, hey, I can do this on my own. I don't need God. I don't need that. And if the Holy Spirit has no more impact. But if you're a prodigal and you know that you've sinned and you know that you're a million miles away from God and you may even be sitting here this morning and you know that you're way outside of the plans that God has for your life, can I just tell you this is a beautiful story. The father got up, he, excuse me, he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father finished watching, you know, CNBC and saw him and felt compassion. No, he, he saw him from a long way off and ran after him, felt amazing compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Let me tell you something. The season for embracing from God's perspective is always in terms of lost people. In terms of lost people. It never stops. He, he's there for you. He's ready for you. You may be here this morning or on live stream. Maybe some of our Wisconsin folks said, look, I, you don't know my life. You have no idea where I've been or what I've done. God does. I don't. And I don't have to. But he does. And he, his arms are open wide. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is always knocking. And his arms are always open wide. Now, is there a time to shun embracing? Is there? Sometimes the Lord calls us to exit relationships for a season, forever, I don't know. You say, well, that never happened. No, that does happen. There are times and places, especially for you who are new in your journey. Look, there's a time to shun embracing with your old tribe, with your old pack, with your old soul sisters, with your old whatever. There's a time to say, look, it's time to move on. I, I, God's called me into a family now. God's called me into this. And if I run with them, I'll be impacted by them. I tell all my girls, I've got three, every time they go out somewhere, Zizi to college or Tatum, she's, she's over in Hawaii right now, there was a missile. Did you see about that yesterday? Tatum, she's so nonplussed. She's like, oh, I just thought it couldn't be. You know, there are people are running for cover and freaking out and all that. Did you see this thing? They, they, there was a, a, a false missile alarm uh, on Hawaii, and they thought they were incoming. They pushed the wrong, clicked the wrong thing on the deal there, and they sent out to everybody's phones all over Hawaii that the missiles, and this is not a test. This is actually happening. And, of course, Tatum is just like, oh. Oh, see, what are we doing for lunch here? You know, I mean, she's just nothing. She's nonplussed. But I tell all my girls, wherever you go, you are ready to go there if you can be an influencer and not the influenced. And if you're not ready to be the influencer and to be influenced, then you're not ready for that next season in your life. And so there is a time to shun embracing. There's a time for that. Listen to, listen to uh, this here. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. Do not enter the path of the wicked 
or proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Don't pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. Now, obviously, we're called to be salt and light and to go back in. And Jesus, yes, was there with the tax collectors, the sinners, the harlots, and everybody else. So there is a time, but you do it fully prepared. You do it in your... You know, you, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, you know, the Ephesians 6 kind of stuff where you really go in with the full armor of God. You go in that way prepared. But be cautious as a new believer, as someone who's just entered the wilderness. Maybe, you know, we're going to baptize some of you. If you've never been baptized, come on, get baptized. January 25th, like a lot of you to join us there. We'll send out it of where it's going to become. Support these people who are being baptized. Know when you get baptized, you're going to go into the wilderness, going to be weeping, and it's challenging. The wilderness is challenging. A lot of people don't make it through the wilderness. They end up wanting to go back to Egypt. But the wilderness is a great place. Being hungry is good. There's a season to be hungry, and there's a season that God's going to feed you. Turn away from those crowds. If you're a new believer, just turn away. Find some family. You may be the person that's called to go back into those environments two, three years down the road. But there's a time to shun embracing. And then Luke 9, 59 and 60, Jesus said to another, follow me. And he said, permit me first to go and bury my father. And he said, well, allow the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Now, this, seem, this makes Jesus out to seem like an absolute just tyrant. I mean, can you imagine? The guys just say, look, I want to follow you, but I've got some family responsibilities. My dad died. What do I do about this? And Jesus says, look, let the dead bury their dead. How sensitive is that? No, what Jesus is trying to do is grab our attention. When he says go, go, and it may necessitate shunning the embracing of something or someone you love. But if he calls you to go, go. He's your creator. And he cares about that person more than you do anyway. Jesus was not saying that. He didn't care about family. It's not what he was saying. He's saying, but relative to my call on your life, go. If that necessitates shunning for a little while and embracing or a season, then just trust my voice. Now, remember, all this is predicated on one thing. Can you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? You know, it's amazing. After the first service, I was up in the lobby up there, and I had numerous people come, and I said, well, and I always ask them, tell me what you got out of this, and they said, well, this part, and the Lord really spoke to me. I began to weep while I was in the service because the Lord was speaking to me. I just never realized, and, and one person heard this, another person heard that, another per- th- that's what I mean by the Holy Spirit can be doing something deep, deeply penetrating in your life right now according to your journey with the same message, but he can he speak to each one of you individually. He may be saying stay, or he may be saying, okay, the season is over here. If you can't discern the seasons, like the tribe of Issachar, if you're not aware of the seasons, your life, family's life, nation's life, or anything, you'll just be always a little bit frustrated. It's a frustrating, unfruitful time. Be aware of the seasons. Next, a time to search and a time to give up is lost. Now, we know Luke 15, 8 through 10, Jesus, listen. What woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search until she finds it? When she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and rejoice for me, for I found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. Look, it's always a time to search for lost people. He said that again. It's always a time to search for lost people. God puts that as his highest priority. Once you're saved to go back out and have an impact, 
missionally, community, communally, and then individually. God cares about lost people. It's always time to search. But sometimes, you know, he tells you to search for things. And then other times he says it's time to give up his lost. And he say, give up his lost, Matthew 10. He, when, remember, he sent out the 12 in Matthew 10 and the, and the 70 in Luke 10. But in Matthew 10, he says, now when you go in and you go into a certain city and they don't heed your words, as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet and go to the next city. There are times in your life where God says it's just not productive. It's time to let it go. Wipe off the dust off your feet. Get it off and go to the next place. It's not going to be a fruitful field for you. I may have had you in that field for a season to do some planting, maybe to gather some stones out of the way. Maybe some of the seeds are planted. Now I've got something else. Remember, God doesn't call you out of something and then lead you to nothing. He's leading you somewhere else where you might be able to be fruitful. Or he may be saying, look, this may be not a fruitful place for you right now, but I'm still calling you to stay here. That's what it means to discern the times and the seasons of the Lord. And that's what we must do. So, yeah, there was a time. Go in. They don't heed your words. Shake the dust off your feet. Can you misapply this? Absolutely. You know? My, my husband had a bad day yesterday, and so I'm going to shake the dust off my feet, and I'm going to go to the next husband. I mean, I've seen people apply Scripture in some of those bizarre ways. The Holy Spirit will not lead you to do that, except for, no, no. The, the Holy Spirit will not lead you to do that. The Holy Spirit will not lead you to do that, but he will speak to you. He will speak to you in the quiet of your own heart. Look, there's a time to keep and there's a time to throw away. You know, the, again, like I said, these are not comprehensive. These are just kind of the, some of the first shots at things that ran through my mind this last couple of weeks as I was looking and trying to unpack. We could literally take one of these and we could spend, uh, Mike, this morning, our youth pastor said, uh, he said, look, you could take 10, 20 weeks. And I said, I know, but I'd lose people through the process. So we work through these, but these just give you a taste of, yeah, and, and the Lord, I think the Holy Spirit could even come into your life even now and say, you know, this is a time. This is a time to uproot something. Or this is a time. And he may start using this language to communicate to you even in a dream or a vision or as you pray or, or as you're speaking with somebody even this week or this next month. But 2018, we want to be keened in. Now, one of the things in terms of keep and throw away, the first thing that came into my mind was Matthew 13. These are parables about the kingdom that Jesus told. This gives us an ultimate sense of keeping and throwing away. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea, gathering fish of every kind. When it was fill, filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, take out the wicked from among the righteous, will cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus is trying to grab our attention. Don't you recognize there is coming a day of reckoning where things will be gathered, things will be kept, and things will be thrown away. Now you say, well, you're talking about a holy, infinite God throwing away people that are created in his image that just because they didn't believe in the religion that you believe in. I mean, I get that all the time. And you, many of you have heard me teach on this, but I will say very clearly that no, God throws no one into hell. 
we go there on our own volition. We have run from the presence of God. We have run from his rule and reign in our lives, which is all the kingdom of heaven is, for maybe many, many years. And as you run from God, you finally ultimately get what you want. You can exit the presence of God for all of eternity. Now, that's essentially what is happening. Is there weeping and gnashing of teeth? Yes, but it's not, oh, I kind of, but I tried, and ah, you know. No, I think it's you get finally the Lord gives you what you've always want, complete autonomy. You want autonomy from God? You can have it for all of eternity. But we're going to have together, and then the Lord and his discernment, and because he is the judge, will keep some for his rule and reign and finally allow the rest to go their own way. There is a time, there is a season, and there is coming a season, and it's what drives me every day I get up. There is coming a season, and my life will be over like that. I mean, literally, my life will be over like that. Before I know it, my life will be finished. Did I live for him? Did I warn people? Was I concerned about people's eternal destiny? Did I know that there would be a time and a season where things would be kept and thrown away? There is a time also to tear apart, and I think this is, this is challenging. Um, I want to relate this, although we could talk about this. There, I want to relate this to the nation of Israel, especially during Jesus' time. There was a time and a season, and they were, un, they were not discerning of the times and the seasons for the most part. And Jesus cautioned them and then aggressively came after them for not recognizing the times and the season. Listen to what he says in Matthew 21. 42 and 43. Jesus said to them, those are the religious leaders, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it's marvelous in our eyes. He's quoting the prophet Isaiah. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing the fruit of it. Now, this Matthew 21 passage has been vastly, really poorly understood for many, many hundreds of years because many would take that. And in fact, in fact, as you go back into the writings of some of the great reformers, they were taking it away from the Jews and they were giving it to the Gentiles. That is not what this says. It says, Jesus said, it's going to be given to a nation, not the nations, a nation producing the fruit of it. And then if you go forward in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he says, there is a new nation, one new man, he calls it. And then Peter said, there's a holy, royal priesthood, a holy nation comprised of, are you ready? Believing Jews and believing Gentiles. It's not taken away from the Jews and given to the Gentiles. It's taken away from the non-believing aspect of the Jewish people who rejected and had been prophesied that they were going to reject the Messiah and giving it to those believing Jews and believing Gentiles who would become one new man and be able to worship together. February 19, we've had him before. We're going to get, probably once a year we'll have him. Dr. Eris Sareth, who's, who's the president, Sareth, who's fifth generation Babylonian Jew, the president of the largest Bible college in Israel and all the, actually all the Middle East will be here with us on the 19th. And I'll bring him up, and we'll have a conversation, and I'll put my arm around him, and he'll put his arm around me, and I'll say, that is the new nation. Not the Gentiles, the Jews and the believing Jews and the believing Gentiles who both have Jesus in their heart. That's the new nation. But notice, Jesus said, there's a time where it'll be torn from you. And it was. And it was given to this new nation. But don't fret. 
there's going to come a time where he's going to sew it back together. And that's what we get in Romans 11. I'm a, I don't have time to read it all, but I'll just give you a quick summary. Look, he said, you Gentiles, you were a wild olive branch. Here's this beautiful Jewish root, the Messiah coming up that had been prophesied by Isaiah 700 years. There's going to, a root that's going to come forth from Jesse, and here's this beautiful root, and you were grafted in, contrary to your own nature, you were grafted in to this very Jewish root. But here were these Jewish branches who were then cut off because of their unbelief. But don't fret. There's coming a day, and then he quotes Isaiah 59, verse 20, when a redeemer will come to Israel. And then Paul goes on to say, and all of Israel shall be saved. Now this is, look, this gets a little controversial and all this. I'm just telling you, I believe, I'm believing there's a day, maybe not in my lifetime, but I believe there's a day when we'll look at the nation of Israel and say, now that is a Jesus nation. There are over 100 congregations of believing, close to over 120 now, congregations in Israel who are Jewish and, some, and oftentimes Arabs in their own population who are now worshiping Jesus in fulfillment in the early days of this sowing together. I believe it is now a season in the life of the nation of Israel and in the world to sow together and take those branches that had been cut off and have them again grafted in along with the wild olive branches, which were the non-Jewish people. So, look, there's a season for Israel, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together. It's the same in your life. He'll tell you apart from something, but he'll sew, to get, he'll sew you together again. New wineskins, I mean, there's all kinds of metaphors that can be used, but God is constantly on the move. Well, we worship this way, or we meet this long, or we, you know, and it's challenging when you do something new. I got to tell you, probably none of you have ever experienced a thing like Church of the Red Door. I don't know, it's, we come in, listen to videos, it's kind of different, you know, we meet, we don't have our own building, and, you know, it's kind of different, but it's okay. God can use new wineskins all the time, and there's a season for new wineskins, and maybe that's what God's doing. I believe he is, or I wouldn't be here. There's a time to be silent, and there is a time to speak, both in the life of Jesus and in your life. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 8, stretched out his hand. Uh, there was some that were cure, uh, cleansed from leprosy. He goes, see that you go and tell no one. And then right around the corner here, Isaiah, prophesying about Jesus, said that he would be the lamb that would be silent before his shearers prophesying of Jesus and his own crucifixion. Jesus was pretty quiet before his accusers. They kept hurling insults at him, telling him this and that, and he was silent just as Isaiah had prophesied. Jesus, on the other hand, would go into places and would go into the synagogue daily, as you see in Luke chapter 4, teaching and in their synagogues daily, having conversation. He went and overturned the money changers, temp, the, uh, all their tables and everything. He was proclaiming loudly the kingdom. He was denouncing people. And then there was a season to be silent. Have you ever had a situation where you're in a conversation with somebody and then you just turn and you go, wait a minute. For some reason, I feel like I'm supposed to just zip it and you say nothing. Other times you feel like you want to be silent, but you know the Lord is prodding you to say something. Say something. You have to, we have to recognize the times and the seasons, the moments, if you will, of silence versus speaking, and it's all dictated by the Holy Spirit. 
there is definitely a time to speak. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever will deny me before men, I will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. There is always an appropriate season to say, I am a Jesus person. Unapologetically. I'm telling you that right now. I'll just say it. I am a Jesus person. I don't know if you've recognized that by now. But... I am a Jesus person. I am confessing Jesus. He's transformed my life. He's renewing. He's not done. I'm still, I've still got a lot of work to do. But he's renewing me day by day, just as he promised. He's given me his Holy Spirit. He's transformed my family. My, he, Jesus rocks. He is the rock, and that's why he rocks. Jesus is amazing, yeah? So, and so Jesus is saying, tell people there's a time to speak. And there may be a time to just not say a thing. Understanding the times and the seasons. These last two are pretty integrated as we begin to close here. There's a time to love and there is a time to hate. Now, hate and you say, well, how's, how do you hate in the Bible? But G clearly Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, you know, those who persecute you, those who come against you, you should be praying for them. Don't take, out, don't take your own revenge here. Pray for those who persecute you. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And yet at another place, it's Jesus clearly using hyperbolic language in Luke 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, clearly in the Greek here, this is comparative language. This is a strong understanding that this is hyperbolic language. Of course, God, Jesus is not saying hate your family, but relative to listening to the voice of your creator and understanding the times and the seasons and his direction in your life, that takes a distant, distant, distant second place. Is it important? Vitally. But relative to me, you must hate. Now, one thing that it's important to see, and our last one, is there is a time for war. And there is a time for peace. I do not want you to think about that. We are well beyond the time and the place where we can say as individuals. Now, nations, that's a different thing. God orchestrates nations. Daniel 2.21, he raises up leaders and he deposes rulers. Okay, so God is involved in the geopolitical goings-on of the earth. Why? Because he's sovereign. But we also have to understand Ephesians 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And it goes on. Look, we are in a battle, and through that we have to understand there is a time to love and there's a time for battle. I love, I do not love Satan at all, and I'm not called to, nor am I called to love his plans. Paul says we shouldn't be ignorant of his schemes. He's scheming. Jesus was clear in John chapter 10. He comes for these three purposes. You ready? Kill, steal, and destroy. I hate him. There's a season to hate. Well, how do you? And, and if you merge hate with war and battle, then I am called as a follower of Jesus to engage in a battle with Satan and his plans for my family. For you as a church body, for this valley, he'd love to wipe it out and destroy it and make Christianity just all seem like some way right, fundamental, bizarre, 
kind of something or other. I don't know what stereotypically it is, but it's life-giving, and he doesn't want people to see that. You think Satan's happy with any Bible teaching church in the valley? No. Do you think he wants to get rid of church at the red door? Yes. Do you think he'd like to see it stumble and fall and have me get wiped out and then have people fail and have some kind of, you know, all that you think? Yeah, he's scheming to kill this body and destroy it, and I hate that. And we should actively battle against it. How much time did you spend in prayer this week praying for church at the red door for your friends or your family? I mean, do you realize you're in a battle? There is a time for war, and yes, there's a time for peace. But remember what kind of peace it is. It's not a peace that says, oh, yeah, everything's fine and don't uncover anything. Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. What kind of peace did Jesus have? A peace that understood the seasons. See, Jesus' kind of peace, what kind of was it? He walked perfectly in complicity with his Father's command. He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. And because of that, I have a kind of peace that you will never really understand unless you come with me, follow me, and I'm going to give you my kind of peace. The kind of biblical peace that we get through following Jesus is, it is incomparable. You want peace? Was Jesus' life perfect? I mean, think about what he went through. Think about how misunderstood he was. And yet, I'm going to give you this kind of peace. Why did he have peace? He was in perfect synchronicity with the king of the universe, his father. And, of course, he himself was God's son. I mean, Trinity, and we understand all that. Look, that's the kind of peace Jesus wants to give you. So are you committed to this for 2018? Lord, I want to know your plans. What season am I in? Here's what, if, we, if you get, we get nothing out of this. If you just left this series, it's not a series. If you left this little thing and you, you began to ask yourself the question, Lord, this is how you pray. You ready? You can pray like this this week, maybe even on the way home. Lord, what season am I in? What time is it in my life? That thing I'm thinking about right now, are you calling me to uproot there or to stay there? Are you, talking, are you telling me to throw stones on that and not go back to that field? Or are you talking me to work this field and remove the stones and so that springs of water can come up and fruitfulness and the seed that's been planted can bear fruit? Lord, what kind of season? Lord, are you calling me into battle? Are you calling, am I in the season of preparation? Lord, am I to be silent right now with this relationship or am I to go ahead and share with this person? I've wanted to share, but I've always felt like it was a season of silence or maybe I never thought of it in that way. And now in my own spirit, you're saying you need to have the conversation with this person and confess me before them. Now is the time. Timing is everything. Timing's everything. And we're going to see this more. So next week, what are we going to be doing? We're going to be talking about the times and the seasons as it relates to our best effort to understand. And I will tell you right now, we don't understand exactly where we are with Church at the Red Door. I'd love to tell you that everything's been worked out and we have everything figured out and we know where we're... You know, I don't know if we're going to be here for six months, UCR. We know we're on a kind of a month, almost not a month to month, but we're not, we don't have a whole lot of vision as to how long we're going to meet here. And, and, I, and we don't have, there's a lot that we don't have. I don't know. But we'll pray and we'll tell you what we do know. And I'll tell you this, and I would ask that you pray this. Would you be in prayer right now for Church at the Red Door? Lord, that he would give the leadership, the wisdom, and the discernment 
not to get ahead, but not to fall behind in the times and the seasons that he has for this church? Are you interested in that? Do you care about this as a missional community? Do you think the Church of the Red Door is going to have an impact in the Coachella Valley and eventually impact the world by engaging the valley spiritually, socially, and culturally? Is that a possibility? Or maybe you're live streaming today and you're in wherever. We see Austria and we see, you know, England and wherever, all the different places that we see. And, you know, what is it going to look like? This is what we pray. Now we're talking. Now we got something to pray about. Lord, what time is it? And he will show you. Maybe this very sermon this morning was exactly what you needed in this time and in this season. And can I just tell you, as we close with this last worship video, if you have been in a very difficult season of your life, it's going to be okay. This season too shall pass. But are you going to embrace this season, even if it's a season of hunger, and recognize that God sees everything?